So let's do this. We got this. You're fine. You think just go for it. You're going to ask us questions. We're going to answer questions. All right, fine. I made notes. I don't show up unprepared. My genius is is purely something that just arises. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Outpost Podcast. You've made it, you've arrived, and so have a few other people. We have, we have, we've been expecting you. I am here today, Lacey, and then we've got Marcus D. Darkus, Derek, Tom. Sorry, I was late. You were. I've arrived. Everyone else went nice and quick, and you were tardy. Yeah. Well, how y'all feeling today? Good. Could not be better. Feel good. Except for Derek is only feeling good. Kind of too warm. Are you? I'm a little cold. Interesting. (laughs) We've now described our office every day. (laughs) Yeah, true. Okay, so we got some really good community questions that we want to start with. So where, Derek, do you have them? Oh, gosh. You know, I had the bag refurbished this weekend. It just got here. He was not prepared is the answer. (laughs) My phone locked. We just went over trying to figure out how to (laughs) stop that. Okay, Um, Derek, do you have the community questions? The mailbag. For goodness Um, sake, Derek. (laughs) Any double-jointed folk among your midst? Mm. I am not. My fingers are pretty flexible, except this one that's broken, and I call it the Quasimodo finger. It does not <laughs> The bells! The bells! <laughs> it does not bend like the others. Wow, it is? Lacey's it, just flipping us all off I was about right to say, I don't think it's broken, look guys. Like, look, this is broken, <laughs> this too. This is a really good yeah. broken finger. <laughs> I've got a broken finger for each of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anybody else double-jointed? Anybody got I'm some? barely jointed. I'm like <laughs> several You're like legs. under-jointed? I have a friend that's Banded super together. double-jointed and she freaks me out, man. Really? Yeah. It is odd. That I can't even swivel my can neck. Invert. <laughs> she can like yeah. I just walk around arm like all the way back. It's wow. just, it's, yeah, I, I don't I, like I it. I can stand up and sit down again. That's Sounds it. happen that shouldn't. I'm normal jointed. Okay. That's about it. <laughs> okay, what else we got? I'm so off track today. <laughs> Apologies in advance. How can I be of more help to the O-Neb team than hmm. just buying your games and saying nice things about you so often? Well, you can certainly continue to say nice things about us. I mean, so Please. often is relative. Mm-hmm. It's Jason, though. He really does. <laughs> oh. he, he does do that a lot. Yeah. Always open to more praise. But really, they're asking how can they better serve and be part of you know the community in a stronger way? What kind of things are we needing from community members? Participation is the main thing, right? Totally. Just be in the conversation. Let your opinions and ideas and thoughts and motivations be known. Yeah, share those inspirations for other people to benefit from, I think, is... Nothing is more beneficial than the conversation continuing. And the more we see in the Facebook groups in particular that conversations are happening that we didn't initiate Mm -hmm. is super helpful and exciting and brings other people out of their shell, which is kind of the whole point. It's exciting to see people make positive observations and comments and vocalize them. Some people do that and other people just they wait for something that they don't like and then they decide that that's the time that they're going to raise their voice and contribute is I don't like the way this thing is, right? It's like, oh, well, thanks. You can thank you for that. (laughs) One thing that I think about is, you know, the overall kind of mission of Orange Nebula is think bigger, right? 
And so anybody who wants to do anything, quote unquote, for Orange Nebula, it really has a lot more to do about your own creativity and expanding your own thoughts and ideas. So Mm. I would say if anybody could do something for Orange Nebula, it would be like, look deep inside you at what you have to offer and think bigger about how you can bring that into the world. Absolutely. The coolest thing about our community is it's filled with unlimited crazy creativity and potential that you could glean from that has nothing to do even with Orange Nebula. It's just the other community members. They're intelligent and smart and fun and caring. And I don't know why anybody would not want to be part of that. Amen. They can also send bagels to me. I mean, that's, oh, that's a given. I knew Honestly. this was why working its way around that? the food. Definitely send us snacks. snacks. It goes right to snacks. Send yep. us snacks. Always. That's the best idea. That Everything I said before about creativity unlocking yourself. Throw it out the window. Garbage. Snacks. We're in trouble now. And I always like it to be in a oh, pairing. No, okay? we got her on a snack Bitter tangent. Bitter and sweet or salty and sweet. It must be in a pairing. Send us snacks. So... If you send Lacey a snack, it has to meet her expectations, is what you're saying. I'm going to be happy and grateful for anything, but I'm just saying, if he asked what he could do, (laughs) I'm giving some great ideas. Mm -hmm. Are there snacks you don't like that they shouldn't send? Are there snacks I don't like? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Uh Uh-uh. Send weird snacks. (laughs) Find something Lacey doesn't like. I would play that game. (laughs) Crates of obscure, like asparagus hard candy, like... Come on. Strange canned fish. (laughs) (laughs) That's rude. What is the hardest part of a project? The beginning, the middle, or the end? For me, it's the end. Because you're usually pretty exhausted. You just want to get it done. But it's also the most exciting time. Because you're really close to seeing your final product. When do you actually feel that excitement? Does it come right before you launch? Does it come after you launch? Does it ever come? In a web world, it's getting ready to launch. Yeah. At that point in time, because you're like, okay, this is finally going to be in the world. Everybody's going to be able to see it. But also, it's getting to show the client because they're always wowed. Like, wow, you made this on the web? The interwebs? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I'm your guide to the interwebs. But uh, it's certainly hard. It's a grind. But it's definitely the most rewarding and exciting for me. What do you think, Tom? And definitely. Really? Yeah, because I'm always excited to move on to something else. By the time we've reached the end of a project, I've had 20 other new projects that I'm really excited to pursue. And then it becomes a discipline to not go running off and enjoying those and having to finish the thing that I'm cooling down on because it's been explored and now it's just the work of finishing it out. But the joy is the exploration part. And so I want to jump to the next thing and so was the question what's the hardest part? Yeah. Definitely the end for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's my diplomatic, somewhat banal answer. Boring. Boring answer. You can cut this part out. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's different for each person. Some people don't like to get started because they're bad at research or they hate research or they hate gathering data and they just want to do the interesting thing. Some people love that. There's a lot of excitement and creativity at the beginning and anything's possible and I kind of tend to be that way. So it's generally not the beginning. The end is oftentimes a grind, but there's this huge uptick at the end of a project where you see it completed and there's a swelling of pride Mm -hmm. and there's this kind of like you're bringing something into the world. And I think the middle also can be a rut. I think sometimes you can get lost and you can find it difficult to find your footing when you are creating something without rules. When you're not following rules, when you're making rules, sometimes you can get lost in the middle. The end is generally when everything's together and there's just a bunch of work and i think that becomes boring but i think they each have their independent challenges i don't think there's a worst but if i had to pick 
I would you, you probably say the middle. I have to pick, and it's the middle. I don't even do the middle, to be honest with you. you. Start. <laughs> I done. do the beginning, and I plan it, and it's really fun, and I come up with a great strategy, and then I avoid, 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 and then I just knock it out of the park. The middle? I didn't even have a middle. You're like, I hate it, so I'm just going to make it not exist. I just don't do it. She just splits it into two halves. There's yeah. the beginning and the end. There's the planning and the executing. <laughs> it's just excitement and panic. Yeah, it's just <laughs> oh. and stress and anxiety. I've even learned to just accept the panic as part of the process, and the panic doesn't even really bother me. No, I think you've learned to depend on the panic. Yes, I mastered it. Master of panic. Yes. Lacey. That's correct. <laughs> it's the truth. What nonsense things are completely necessary for your workflow? Do you have rituals or habits that put you into the right mindset? I'm really anxious to hear everybody else's because I'm not sure I have one. I need absolute complete silence and airflow. Like if I don't have a fan going and I can hear anything, I'm done. Really? Mm-hmm. High maintenance. That's Tom. Yeah, this is a high maintenance question. <laughs> yeah, what are your high maintenance problems? <laughs> Anytime I'm doing live video or if I'm interviewing somebody or I'm doing a consulting session, people are probably so tired of hearing it, but I have to have some sort of snack. And the reason is not because I'm hungry. It's because I need something to do with my mouth. So I shut up. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not eating or taking a drink, I've got three drinks, I've got four little snacks, then I just tend to over talk. I don't listen as well unless I have something that I can and distract. Do we have any snacks right now that we can give to Lacey? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So they're like they're like little speed bumps. Yeah. For your Mm -hmm. talking. I just really want you to have like a talk Mm -hmm. show now. I'm just like picturing like Barbara Walters or something, just like noshing on something <laughs> while she's interviewing she's world like, leaders. <laughs> spicy Doritos, just no, her no. hands are all red. <laughs> Please tell, go tell ahead. Me, tell me about Kuwait. You know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could never make it in the news, you know. <laughs> okay, what about you, Mark? What about me? High maintenance. Yeah, I mean, in some ways. I have found myself recently giving a lot of voice to what I already know is a bad idea. Like whether it be with Tom or someone else, I will take time. Okay. Here comes a really bad idea. I just want you to endure it with me. And what I have found is that I do agree that that ended up being a bad idea, but it gave birth to a good idea Mm. or like you have to get through all the bad ideas to get to the good ones. Mm -hmm. So if you avoid them, you're going to take longer to get to the good ones. It's a good thing we have so many bad ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we do. You and I, especially, we're, like we're all we have is it. bad ideas it's and then true. there's the occasional good one. I feel like somebody has to start the conversation. So I always feel like I have to just say something and then say, tell me why you hate it. And mm-hmm. usually from that will birth something that is actually a good idea. Good from... ideas are forged in bad ideas, yes. Eric. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Mm-hmm. Caught myself this week talking to, I don't know, whoever, probably Tom, about and presenting the idea already as a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And so, like, now somebody's braced for looking for flaws. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I've learned to ignore that because it was a great idea. And now we're doing it. Right. Well, there's that. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the observation I have about myself is I probably shouldn't do that. It probably should be more like, I think it's a bad idea, but I'm not going to vocalize that. It's going to be, here's something interesting. Mm-hmm. And, Give it, me and your it might, feedback. It, yeah, it might not be what we need, but like, let's think about it. And I think that when I have seen staff and other people and colleagues and people that we talk to, when they feel free to vocalize an idea that might not be a home run, 
what we find is those are the things that get us on base so that we can score the runs. If I'm going to just play that out with the baseball theme. And so just observing that, I think there's some nonsense involved. I think you're coming up with nonsense ideas and you're like, well, this is backwards way to think about this. This is a really strange, obscure, like it doesn't even make sense. But is there some shred of truth that we can build on that's going to make this really interesting and neat? And I think what we usually find is there's always something interesting. It may not just be functional yet, but the most powerful part of that is somebody else sees it differently and then they take it and they turn it into something functional and the collaboration pays off. Hmm. But only because we gave birth to or we shared those what we thought were bad ideas. Yeah, it's interesting how you mentioned how we present things too and the importance of us all reflecting on how not only the way we present things, but how we receive those mm. things in this constructive way. Because sometime this week you said something to me and you said, okay, here's an idea and you're going to hate it. And I found myself wondering in that moment, did he say that because of something in him? Yeah. Or did he say that because of a way that I tend to respond to things? Like, like was, was that it a, a projection or an assumption? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, so both of those things is probably something. Well, but there's <laughs> something to learn there. Like, there's like, I need to be conscious of the way I'm receiving, quote unquote, bad ideas. Because I know consciously that we're just constantly snowballing off these random ideas. Am I too much of a wall? when I should be more of a you know sponge or whatever? Or is it just him feeling uncertain about the idea or a little bit of both? And mm -hmm. just kind of being conscious of that. Because I think all of us know pretty clearly everything that Mark just said about how our ideas bounce off each other and work together. But just because we know that doesn't mean that it's reflected in the way we behave with each yeah, other. It's not like every and, time we frame something, it's going to be done correctly mm -hmm. and truthfully, even though we know that a bad idea isn't really a bad idea. Mm -hmm. It's also good to be mindful of what you're communicating to the other person, right? You're going to hate this idea because you shoot everything I say down. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's kind of an assumption <clears throat> about him, but what which I, isn't really your place. No, well... Yeah, and that sends the wrong message. That really breaks down communication and mm -hmm. collaboration. Obviously, that's not what I was saying, but if he could take it that way, I have part of that responsibility right. and he has part of that responsibility. And mm -hmm. so clear communication is probably something that we should both strive for. Be like, hey, you might not like this. And the reason I say that is because this- Maybe I'm a little insecure about this because I don't feel totally solid on it, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's a little more That's truthful. one way, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how much everyone is responsible for the healthy communication of the group. Yes. Everyone is responsible in some way for the way that mm -hmm. each other is feeling in the space. Mm -hmm. There's this interesting dichotomy of not taking things personally and not making assumptions about other people mm -hmm. in our communication in order to try to keep it clear. Okay, here's a good one. How do you think the board game community will react to your non-board game products when you release them? That's a very interesting question. It is. We the answer is, know. for me, my answer is we don't know. We have no idea. And that will kind of eventually lead us into our main topic, okay. too early for the transition sound. But I think that our motivations should not be to give other people what they want or to be motivated by what they will think I think if we're doing what we know is right and following our passion and doing our craft and our art to the best of our ability, I think that the right people will be attracted to it regardless of what it is. I think it is an interesting question because what they're saying is you have this audience in this community that you've built around this thing 
and you're planning on introducing something new to that group. Like, have you thought about that? And we have thought about that. Mm -hmm. And overall, I would say we think they're going to receive it really well. We don't know. I mean, it's in line with us. We love board games and we love, you know, all the creative things that we're doing and storytelling and, Mm -hmm. and cool imagery and design and all those things. And these are going to be just other representations of that. And so we think this audience is going to really love that, but probably not all of them. It may appeal to as broad a group. It's just going to overlap other circles. Mm -hmm. I agree too. It isn't exactly the same. Every product, we can't just call it the board game community, you know, because inside the board game community, there are segments that like cooperative games. There are segments that like solo games. There are segments that, you know, are really drawn towards just two person games. And so every game has a different audience. And so every product has a different audience. And so what we have in mind for each product is really going towards a very specific audience that just exactly like you said, Mark, they overlap. And so there are people within the communities who like Unsettled, people within the communities that like Vindication, that were drawn to it because of perhaps the brand values and the design and the quality who are going to love these other products because they love this other thing that overlaps. Yeah. I mean, if we were to look at the data and say, gosh, Vindication, we're going to release a new expansion, I can confidently say that most of our board game community is going to respond really well to that. If I said... We're also going to be releasing a Vindication graphic novel series, and they are familiar with... I don't think the sales would be the same. I, I mean, there's just... Like, you're going to fragment that audience, right? There's just no way, because these people like board games, and that's what they've shown. Many of them would like the graphic novels, which is not something that we're doing, but that's just an example. But I think a lot of them would, but it would start to create a new community. And we may draw people in that would love the graphic novels that don't really care about playing the board game. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of something that we're doing to broaden and expand our community. At the same time, it's also something that we're doing to to give birth to all these other ideas. I keep using that analogy. It's okay. You can use it. As the the one in the room with a womb, I give you permission to say we give birth to ideas. Yeah. Thank you for making womb for that. Uh, I can't believe I said that. I should be shocked right now. Can we? Yeah. If there's an edit call, that would be my edit call. Tom's disappointed in me, and he should be. No, I'm very proud, actually. I thought it was quite good. That was. It came out really quick. There was no effort to it. It You really had to. You really had to dive in. Mm -hmm. Oh, you barely had to reach for it. It was amazing. (laughs) No, I'm drowning in it. Okay. Transition into our. Main topic. I you were trying to have us all go. Everybody, in it, on that one. <laughs> oh, that's can we that do one. take two? Left on, left, left on read on that one. No, no, no. We're gonna go with it. Okay. All right. Our main topic for today was brought to us by Mark, and so I'm gonna start with you, Mark. We're talking today about the idea of safe versus interesting. So can you give me a little bit of an intro on what sparked this idea? What's the seed of this idea? Well, I'm listening a lot to Audible books right now, Seth Godin, and he's got a book called Icarus Deception that I'm kind of hot on right now. I've read it in the past. I'm reading it again or listening to it on Audible. I think that everybody should read that book. I think it's really powerful from a personal empowerment standpoint and a viewpoint for what our culture is doing and how to take wing with your creativity. And one of the things that I think about a lot is how I was raised an industrialist model of get a good job, get a stable job, get really good benefits, 
and work until you die. Work until you die. And that model of being safe and being secure and being comfortable and being obedient and replicating instead of the path of taking risk and being daring and doing things that are interesting that are outside of your comfort zone, because that's where the treasure lies, is outside of your comfort zone. That's always true. Deeper than that is kind of this conversation about, well, what is comfort zone versus safety zone, mm-hmm. right? Because safety zone is something that people are going to stay in. It doesn't matter what it is. Safety zone is is your boundary, right? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. I won't do it because it doesn't feel safe. Got it. Versus I won't do it because I'm not comfortable. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that motivates me with Orange Nebula's vision is to coax people out of their comfort zone to where the treasure is without leaving their safety zone. I think that gap is significant for a lot of people. And he went in to give this example of like these teenagers or these kids that went up on this really, really high rock and then you jump down in the water, right? It's it's so treacherous to get up that like it's worse to get down. So the only choice you have is to jump. Some people would take hours. And I guess one kid took 14 hours mm. because he couldn't jump. And it was too dangerous to go back down the way. He, so it was just trapped. It was safety zone, comfort zone. It's especially real for me because I spent almost 20 years with my own business, which was kind of a dead end for me because I was being obedient and giving people what they wanted and worrying about meeting their expectations and never doing what my passion was and never really giving myself permission to be creative and take risks. And that changed a few years back, but I spent forever doing what I thought was the right thing to do in the comfort zone, in the safety zone. And I believed a lot of lies. And so I just kind of wanted to talk about that from that perspective, because it's a little bit personal for me. And I think a lot of people want to do things and they tell themselves the lie that someday they're going to do that. And someday is another word for never, right? They're like, well, when the conditions are right, well, the conditions are never going to be right unless you make it so that those conditions are right. My question then after I'm hearing that is from the four of us, how deep into the comfort zone do you feel or how far from the comfort zone do you feel on a regular basis? Well, in my experience, I see it a little differently. Okay. I see it a little more binary in there's what's safe and then there's pressing out of that. And I do think that there's something to be said for going beyond what feels safe. Because I found in my career that safe becomes really synonymous with security and you make decisions based on what has worked for other people, the status quo, what isn't going to rock the boat and is going to, on paper, probably bring the most success. And so that feels safe. Mm -hmm. It feels secure. The alternative would be saying to heck with that, to heck with the status quo and running and just doing whatever it is that you are feeling lit to do and leading and creating and just going off, even if it doesn't feel like it's going to be the safe, secure move. And almost counterintuitively, safe isn't safe. So at least in this culture, being radical 
trying to lead something new, create something new, stepping out, going against the status quo and making this thing that's inside you. Like there's no framework for doing this idea that I want to do or thing I want to make or say this thing that I feel like I need to say. So I'm just going to make this framework and I'm going to do it. Like our culture celebrates and reveres people that do not stick to what's safe while also at the same time actively trying to stop them from doing that. I spent most of my career like towing the line. I realized like as soon as I start forcing past the line, everyone's like, no, don't do that. And I do it anyway. Then everyone's like, oh, well, look what this guy's you. doing. Like, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they're super into it. Oh, but it's only after you press through the wall of everyone saying, no, 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 don't go out of this comfort safety zone. But then you do. And then all of a sudden everyone wants to be a part of what you're doing. So I have found that safe is really almost a lie. I was going to say like an illusion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm totally destroying your topic right now. No, this is the point, right? And, and we might just be using different words because I think inertly people have what they think is a, a survival safety zone. And I think that's different than what you're talking about. What mm -hmm. you're talking about aligns with me a little bit more like what I would call someone's comfort zone, the like problem, yeah. uncomfortable coming out because it doesn't feel safe. But then there is a line at which people get to a panic point and be like, I will not do that because it won't happen. Like I, so I will not allow I that to happen because like it's not safe. Your safety line is like, you know, do I have a physical place that is safe? Do I have food to eat? You know, if it were me, that's kind of my safety zone. Even mm -hmm. then, you know, I spent a good six months where I didn't take any money from my business and I had friends, you know, and I would show up and they'd feed me. That's not very safe. You know, in a lot of people's worlds, that would not be considered something they'd be willing to do. But what you did, but because of your passion and because you wanted the business to thrive and you cared so much that you put it ahead of yourself, that's what I'm talking about between the difference between safe and interesting. Mm -hmm. You chose out of pure passion, not for anybody else, but because of what you wanted to sacrifice the things necessary to express yourself and follow your passion and do the thing that you wanted to do to the point at which it actually impacted your ability to eat. Yeah, it definitely be towed safe. that line. And at a certain point, you would have hit your actual safety point and yes. you probably would have not done that, right? Mm -hmm. You'd be like, okay, well, I have to get a job now or whatever. What I'm saying is you lived in the gap between the two. You pushed out of your comfort zone close to your actual safety zone to get where you got. It has paid off in spades, and it usually does. But you have to go across that line to realize how far you can go across that mm -hmm. line, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You have to like stretch your understanding of that gap, or else the gap itself is what you're scared of. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that being safe or staying in the comfort zone, that's not where opportunity is. Opportunity is found past the line, either because you're stretching and doing something or trying to find a way to do something and you create an opportunity for yourself or an opportunity comes knocking because they see what you are doing and see that is interesting. And there's not and, a lot of people in that space to take that opportunity. Well, and I want this person else. to be a part of 
my thing because mm -hmm. look at how interesting they are. I've never once in my entire life looked at someone and said, look how amazing they're doing maintaining the status quo. <laughs> I would love to like get together with them so we can maintain the status quo really well together. <laughs> like that's just not right. how opportunities happen. Well, you just touched on something, Lacey, which I think is right. And that is that the scarcity is what creates the demand. Mm. There's not very many people willing to go get the thing right? Because it's out of the comfort zone. So you have very few people doing it, few people who can survive that journey and they're hailed when they do it, but they're called idiots when they're going to do it. That's an extreme way to say it. I think they're discouraged from taking that path because people care about them. And what they're trying to do is keep them safe and keep them comfortable. What they don't understand is that they're keeping them from that thing that is going to set them on fire, right? That's going to bring them to life. And I'm just so interested to see what that is in, in each person. And I have a friend named Chris. The first time I met him, I asked him what he did. And he said, I unlock people. And I thought, man, that something about that feels very right. Mm -hmm. and Chris, now he's in jail for murder. Yeah. <laughs> he's also a, a lock picker, a master lock. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what he meant, you know. Yeah. Steals your identity, unlock people's identity. Yeah. So Derek, how comfortable do you feel? How far inside the comfort zone do you live? I think I live pretty far in the comfort zone. Do you think so? And I like I like it there. But, you know, it's very interesting hearing everybody talk about it. I mean, you all are much further along in your careers than I am you know, being, you know, 20. How old am I? 20. Are you 30 yet? Not quite yet. But anyway, <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things you, you, you grow up and you do the college, high school, all that sort of stuff routine. And it's all just very predicted and very rote. And you just kind of follow the rote routine and you just kind of do it because this is what you do. But then there kind of becomes a certain point about your mid twenties and your late twenties where you're like, okay, well, I got to do something with my life. And you know, you can go get a job and pay the bills and do the things and maintain the status quo. That's perfectly fine. Some people that's their jam and that's great. But I'm kind of faced with this crossroads. It's like, okay, well, I want to make something of myself. I got to do it at some point in time. But, you know, right now it's standing at that rock and it's just figuring out how long is too long to be here. And at some point I will have to jump off. So it's very interesting to hear kind of where all that comes in. Are you giving us your two weeks notice? Yeah, really. And then, but it's all very interesting because I mean, Crap. I, I think that I live a very safe life. I do oftentimes kind of sit back and try to get the biggest possible picture I can before I make a move. Part of that's just being a responsible decision maker, but some of that is also just the desire to be safe and secure, even if that means that I won't achieve as much, if that makes sense. And that's changed over time in me, you know, as, as I've gotten older and seen success and seeing what, you know, those little steps over the boundary can do. So I'm really excited to do that sort of stuff. You know, if an opportunity presents itself, I'm always really excited about it. So... I think there are a very large group of human beings who have priorities that are different than us. You know what I mean? And so this comfort zone, they value more that comfort and satisfaction than they do that achievement maybe like you're talking mm -hmm. about. And so some of us with this incessant need to achieve and create, I do think sometimes there's a line where that takes us outside of actually being satisfied in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And there's a problem with that too, you know? When does it go too far when we just can't be satisfied with our own lives at all, ever? Mm -hmm. Is that a question? Yes. <laughs> always, I think always chasing something is good. Not being satisfied is a hard place to be. 
right? Like if you're never happy because it's not perfect, I've lived in that space too. Perfectionism does that to you. I don't think that's healthy. I think contentment is where joy, like they live together, right? The older I get, the more I realize that it's more about how you are than what you're doing than where or what you have or, or any of those things, you know, that's just my reflection. Contentment is, I feel much more content than I ever have in my life. And it has nothing to do with anything that I own. It has more with the choices that I've made. And I think it is a choice to pursue what is uniquely you over a dead end job where you feel like you're just doing redundant, repetitive obedience. You're basically selling your life by the hour or by the month. And that is a really harsh way to look at it, but that's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no 40 year career anymore. There's no gold watch. There's those things don't exist. The industrial age is coming to an end. And I think that's a good thing. I think there's more creativity in the world than there ever has been. I think it's easier and more accessible for you to come up with an idea and share it with the world than it ever has been. Your chances of success are as high as they've ever been. And the sky's the limit. And I still think we're trying to shed what we were raised with, a lot of us, especially in my age group, which was security and safety and stay the course and stay the path. And that's smart and practical. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be practical. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do smart things. Don't um, take all your life savings and go put it on black and spin the r- r- roulette wheel. Right. Yeah. You know what scares me about that is that I'm not in control of it. Yeah. You know, if I took Faint. my life savings and put it towards something that was my effort, I'm confident in that. I really feel like I have the confidence that if I chose to do something, I'd be able to figure it out no matter the risk. Do I behave that way though? I don't know if I do if I actually live within integrity of that belief that I'm stating so strongly and pounding my chest that I have, that felt like, like maybe I'm projecting a little bit more than what is actually real inside me. Let me, let me ask you this. Here's what's real inside you. How long do you think you would survive at a cubicle job? Just be real. Like, <laughs> why would you ever finish that sentence? First? She'd sit down I mean, in the why chair would and go, I, nope. Why would I ever do what someone tells me to do? Like, why would, <laughs> I, ever, why would the, I ever put myself in that position? There's the defiance of authority part of it too. You know, <laughs> I think it is really important that we've brought up this question of contentment though. You know, we, we have these conversations and we are, like Lacey pointed out, you know, the three, Mark, Lacey and I in particular, are sort of more on this crazy achievement side of the motivation scale. Of being. Yeah. But I think when we talk it sounds an awful lot like turn your life into this hype machine and go out there and take over the world and be super creative and rah, rah, rah. But I think that there's room for everything that we're talking about in whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're about. If you're feeling not content and you work in an insurance office, like your version of going against the status quo and making a situation that makes you really come alive and be and feel more like you're pressing might just be going against the status quo of some situation in the office, some social norm in your workspace or your family. There are so many different little parts of your life where 
the culture of that space has settled into this is what's expected, this is what's acceptable, this is what is normal, where you can take a step back and say, you know, actually, I feel like we should go a little bit further here or we could tweak this in this way. And why are we not pushing for a little bit of change in these areas? And you don't have to lead some crazy motivational speaker, take over the world with Kickstarter, whatever lifestyle to be content and not just be content, but like to push yourself and pull something out and feel like, oh my gosh, I have unlocked myself in the context that I'm comfortable with and that's right for me. As you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself about one of the lies that I kind of was raised around, and that is the idea that some people have these natural-born talents. Maybe you've heard that your whole life, right? Sure. Like, so this person has natural-born talent. I think 95% of everything in the world is skill that you can learn. I'm never going to be able to have enough skill to go play for the Portland Trailblazers NBA team, right? Like that's not a skill. There's a talent involved. Some of it's just, you know, gift, physical gift. I'd pay to see Nidlinger on the court. You know, if I was oh, eight, if I was <laughs> if I was six ten and I was eighteen, I might be able to pursue that dream. Most things, however, are not like that. They are skills. You can learn to be more empathetic. You can learn, you know, most physical skills. You get to decide what you do. And it's not that you don't have a natural born talent. I think there's a confusion between talent and skill. I'm a guy that basically was born with not talent. I have skill. I, I like whatever I pursued, I chased after and I got good and I got good. And I went through a lot of years of being terrible at certain things that I'm good at now. Most people think there's a secret sauce to success. And really what it is is a series of choices right? You choose to be disciplined and pursue something that you love. For me, it was graphic design and I was terrible at it for a very, very long time. Your More first than few, most people. Your first few pizza menus that you did for free that people wouldn't accept. Oh no. Into my career after I had my business, I was still <laughs> bad at it mm -hmm. in, in my opinion or serviceable, right? But not great. And what I'm finding now that I've kind of unshackled myself with the way that I think a lot of the stuff I'm doing, I'm really happy with because it's just come a really long way and it's a skill. And I don't want to use myself as an example. Just, I mean, most people in life, like the things that they've accomplished is because they pursued it. They put the time in, they were disciplined. They didn't do it for other people. They did it for themselves and they were self-motivated and it wasn't by money. And then they just decided that nothing's going to stop them. And then money comes back to them because they share it with the world and they're generous with it. I think there's a courage check between the people who say, oh, I've designed games or I've written books. Or I've done all these things and they're in my basement and I don't really share them. This is really hard criticism, but I think that ends up to me feeling very selfish. I was that guy for a really long time. And the courage it takes to actually share it with someone and connect with another human being with it is when it comes alive, is when you're most vulnerable when you're most likely to get criticism that you don't want to hear because it's outside your comfort zone. But when you decide to do it anyway, because it's that important to you, something changes and that's when you are on the new path, the path that you want. And it takes that courage and it takes some bravery 
to take the thing that you've been doing on your own for years and years and years and one day to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go. For me, it was vindication, right? It was a game. I don't have natural born talent for this. That was one game and it's a lot of people connect with it now. I think that's great. Some people don't. If it did nothing else, it basically inspired me to change the way that I think about me. And that has made a huge difference for me. So what I'm hearing when we're talking is if you're not feeling content and you do find that you are in the safe zone or the comfort zone, ask yourself if what you are really in is the fear zone mm. and take some comfort in what I said earlier that stepping outside of that safe zone is actually a heck of a lot more safe than it seems because once you push through and you get past people's initial resistance to anyone trying to do anything, you will find that you feel better because you have pushed through and you're doing the thing that you wanted to do and you have done that for yourself. Like if the actual act of doing it is the goal for you, you will be happy. And that's where opportunity and success lives. Pushing past the fear zone, as I'm now going to call it, like you can have your cake and eat it too. Like you can be more successful at the thing you're trying to do and feel better about your choices at the same time. The original question was safe versus interesting, right? What makes a life interesting? And I think a lot of it has to do with being willing to slow down enough to introspect and ask yourself that question because we all, myself very much included, basically keep myself distracted from myself 98% of the time, right? I've got this task, I've got this task, I've got this task. And when I sit down to relax, what do I do? I have some sort of media that is putting something at me and I'm not introspective and I'm not reflective. So how could I ever actually be in tune with what would make my life interesting and what would actually bring the contentment that comes from being out of the fear zone? It's just me though, right? I'm the only one that distracts myself to that level. Totally. Right? It's just yeah, me. It's not. <laughs> I get what you're going for. No, it's not just you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm thinking pretty narrowly on this one for work and creativity. Taking it into a whole life picture kind of changes the conversation for me. So just drawing again from my personal experience, I, at 43, had this vision of my life continuing this dead-end job and having things get worse than they already were every year because I was getting older. And there was a fear thing there and there was a safety thing there because I owned the business. I had staff, employees, and I wasn't really liking what my life was like every day. So I couldn't and probably shouldn't have just quit my job and then just pursued, I'm going to make board games for a living. Like that's insane. That's going recklessly out of a safety zone. What I did instead was I said, this is so important to me that I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm going to spend two hours in the morning and then I'm going to go to work all day. And then in the evening, I'm going to do it because that's what is necessary for me to close the gap between my safety zone and my comfort zone or, or to get through that towards where I wanted to go to chase something interesting, to chase a spark of something that killed the monotony of wherever I was. Now, 
I also think it's possible that you could take any situation and make it monotonous and destroy a, a good thing with your behaviors. Like we could do that here if we wanted to. Like, let's just kill our passion and do what people want us to do. Wouldn't you guys hate that? Yes. Right? There's something different when you engage a community and build something together. The excitement remains. There's a generosity and there's a giving and a receiving. And I think that's kind of what we're going for. But for me, that's how I relate to this is I got to a point, a breaking point. That's how I had to learn. I learned most things the hard way. I've said this before. I'm learning things the hard way in this instance. That's true. That's kind of how this path started for me. What I found is I have not arrived anywhere. Like I feel like we're just beginning. Like we have this conversation all the time about the things that we're going to make and the people that we're going to impact and the people that we're going to learn from and connect with. And there's so much excitement in waking up now to go do that versus showing up at a desk so that I can make sure that my salary and my check and my stocks and my bonds and my insurance and all the responsibilities and drudgery that we have to deal with anyway. When did that become a motivator for people to have a career? Like, I don't know. And some people are just, I think, different than the way that I am. Anybody have any other thoughts as we're kind of going through this and getting close to the end of our time here? I think this is a good exploration uh-huh. of the idea between, you know, safety, comfort, living in an interesting life, a fulfilling life. Uh-huh. I'm glad we got the little expose on joy and contentment. The dirt. I think that was important. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have a lot to unlearn. We mm-hmm. talked about kind of we're coming out of this industrial world, this post-industrial world, and there's so much that we have to unlearn about what it means to be happy in life. It's quickly becoming, it's not the family and the green lawn and the white picket fence anymore. You know, what does it mean to be content in life? That's really interesting. Yeah, I think that's a super interesting observation that, like, I have found over the past couple of years that by far and away, the biggest personal growths for me have all involved disassembling things that I thought I knew and mm-hmm. unlearning things that I was taught growing up by school or by family or by culture or by whomever. Very little of my development and growth over the last five years has been about learning something new. And a lot of it has been about forgetting things that I thought I knew. It feels like wiping like the film off of a lens, Mm -hmm. you know, like when you get to unlearn something, you've always had the lens, but it's got this film over it. And when you wipe it off, there's just this whole new, like life is different. It has been very remarkable for me over the last couple of years and months, especially to realize how many of these frameworks I have in my, in my experience that I build my perceptions on Mm -hmm. that I didn't even perceive we're there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm tearing down all these understandings of myself and the world that like I didn't even realize weren't just reality. They right. were my own perception based on things I was taught and my experience and what school was like when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. See, I think we're going to do that until we die. I think lifelong learner is something that I embrace. Lifelong unlearner. Yeah, yeah. an unlearner. That's true. But it does say something. I mean, I do think we are at kind of this big turning point in how we live with the advent of the internet mm-hmm. being a big part of that. That Al Gore sure changed the world. That what? <laughs> that fad changed the world? Yeah, yes. don't, don't worry it about going it. Away. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's really interesting what we're doing now and how we're determining what it means 
to live in a post-industrial world is going to follow us for the next 200 years. Are you talking about those TikToks? Yes, the TikTok, <laughs> the TikToks, my dances. All right, TikTok, I'm hungry. I yes. am TikTok, ready to I'm eat hungry. a snack and I need to TikToks eat. for everybody. TikToks, yeah. TikToks and TikToks. <laughs> All right, thank you, Mark, for bringing this topic. I think it was a good exploration for mm-hmm. everybody to do. Yeah, it was great to get involved. And I'm excited to see what Daring Derek is going to do Daring as he uh, enters his 30s. So I'm excited to see. It's it's quick approaching. Look out. Mm-hmm. Now I we're arriving. The musical. Derek's 30th. One man musical called Daring Derek. Daring and Derek at 30. That's what I want to see. So. Just be crying in a corner <laughs> for an hour and a half. I look forward to you becoming just rushing headlong on two fronts. Just like wholesome charming and like just unabashed offensiveness yeah. at the I think, same I think time i can ride that line i think you can, I think do, I can it. do it yes. also bagels and bagels fueled mm-hmm. by all right well if you enjoyed this content and you want to hear for more from us you can always find us where derek dope content bro dope content dot biz um no <laughs> where check can out you our find geocities us? what are our latitude and longitudes you can find us there but most importantly you can find us online at orangenebula.com Perfect. You can sign up for our email newsletter there where we send out all of our sneak peeks, where we send out the plunder pod, where you can get cool free stuff. You can always find us at Orange Nebula on any of our social channels, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We've got our Facebook groups, the Outpost Community and the Unsettled Board Game Group and the Vindication Board Game Group. And all of those, you are welcome, except you, Henry. Henry. <laughs> Every time, Henry. Henry is out for Quit good. sending us those emails. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your time today. We're so grateful to have you here. And I am so grateful it's time to eat. We will talk to you soon. Except you, Henry. Bye. 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 that before it beeped that out make it sound like it was a bad word you can find us at traitor